grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit uh, who empowers and brings us to faith. Amen. We uh, are dealing with this question today in our Ask Me Anything sermon series. How do I respond to someone who says they are spiritual but not religious? Someone may say, I'm spiritual, but uh, not really into church or institutions. And, and so as a believer in Jesus who's been uh, redeemed by uh, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died and rose from the dead, uh, one who gathers and understands uh, and experiences the joy and the blessing of community, how do we seek to have that conversation? spiritual but not religious. The statistics of the statisticians, uh, folks who do research and trying to understand where people are at in regards to uh, spirituality or about religion, uh, label this group SBNR. Spiritual but not religious. And so uh, what can we do? How can we listen? How do we behave as God's people? So that's the question at hand this morning. What I'd like us to do is we're going to look at Scripture first, and then we're going to attempt to try to define those words, spiritual but not religious, which is actually quite challenging. Uh, And then we're going to listen to a video and move into a time of some practical application. Okay, So we're going to grab ourselves some Scripture and see that this uh, conundrum, if you will, Uh, This reality existed in Old Testament times. It existed in Jesus' time. So let's just take, for example, uh, that gospel reading that you heard uh, Kevin read. The religious leaders, right, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, and they must obey and do everything. And Jesus says they tie up heavy loads and put them on man's shoulders. This is Matthew 23. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them, right? That whole idea of do what we tell you, but we can't actually follow it ourselves. Have you ever heard that before? Right, people who lay up rules and responsibilities and say, I expect you to walk in them, but I'm not going to walk in them myself. What do we call these people? A little louder? Hypocrites, right? It's about hypocrisy. And so Jesus concludes this section, and he says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The one who exalts himself will be what? Will be humble. And so a very first critical thing that we learn in in dealing with this conversation is that we must come with humility, and we must come even with compassion. And compassion, I want to, that point, I want to go to Amos chapter 5, this Old Testament reading. And near the end of it, in in verse 11, we heard, uh, not verse 11, excuse me, verse 14, we hear this, seek good, not evil. And in Amos uh, 5.15, we hear, hate evil and love good and maintain justice. And then he says this, I hate and I despise your religious feasts. I can't stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me a burnt offering and a grain offering, I won't accept them, God says. 
Though you bring me a choice fellowship offering, I have no regard for them. Here are God's chosen people. Here are uh, the religious folks of the day. And here they're following what God asked them to do, to bring offerings, right? To bring sacrifice. And God is now saying, I don't want it. He goes on and says, I'll have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your song. I won't listen to the music of your harps. Which begs the question, why? What about this change? Well, what was the problem with the Pharisees in Matthew 23? Hypocrisy, right? Well, it's a, a similar delusion here. God's chosen people were misunderstanding that they, they had great prosperity and they had great success. And they figured that was a sign of God's approval for them. And so they brought empty sacrifice, an empty ritual, a perfunctory in a sense, ritualistic in a sense, because they were still worshiping and honoring other gods, like their prosperity, or their own strength, or even, frankly, other gods of gold and silver. And what does God want from them? He wants a spirituality that their, their hearts and their minds and their lives are conformed, that they have crucified themselves, if you will, right? Lived for God, the Almighty, instead of living for themselves. God wants true spiritual worship, right? Not just empty, hollow rituals. Well, it sounds a little bit like those Pharisees, doesn't it? So what we hear is kind of confusing because we have this word religious and when done, when done with emptiness and no spiritual relationship, it's, it's repugnant to God. Just going through the motions is a way we'd say that today, right? It's repugnant to God. And so he desires a spiritual relationship, something that uh, he has given to us, that he's washed us clean of our selfishness and he's given us a love for a community and a unity that Jesus had. And in Matthew chapter 23, we see the religious leaders saying, do this, do that. We expect you to do this, but they don't follow it themselves. And we call this hypocrisy. So here's our question. How do I converse with someone who is spiritual but not religious? Step one, we need to approach it with great humility. Because we ourselves understand that there are times that we just go through the motions. And there's other times that we say to our adult children or even to our spouse, you know, you really should be acting this way, but then we don't act that way ourselves and we're being hypocrites. So we too come humbled, right, to the foot of the cross and the power of the empty tomb, knowing that we too have walked with that mentality, and not just that mentality, but we too have walked that life. And so if we have humility, then we come to the conversation with compassion and not judgment. 
And don't let those two go by. Humility and compassion. Which brings us back to our question. How do I have a conversation with someone who says they're spiritual but not religious? Well, let me uh, maybe define both of these, that is spiritual and religious, at least the way the researchers do today. And the researchers, uh, one set of researchers would say there's really four groups of people in the U.S. Those who love Jesus and love the church, I pray that's you. And if it's not, then I pray that you're moving that way. Love Jesus, love the church. Those who love Jesus and really could care less about his church, they don't love his church, they're frustrated with the church, okay? And then there's the spiritual but not religious. And then there are those who don't love Jesus, don't have faith, and could care less about any institution. Four groups of people. So my prayer and hope is that because of the life of Jesus and who he loved, right? He's the bride, right? Uh, or we're the bride. He's the groom of the church, right? He loves his church. Jesus loves the church. I love Jesus. Love the church. Love Jesus. But there are times that the church has acted like this Matthew 23 hypocrite Pharisee. Or maybe times that, where we have acted this way, where we just bring, right, just ritualistic, without really faith, life, worship in the home, right? You act one way on Sunday morning, but you act completely differently the rest of the week. That whole uh, read, pray, sing is a good way to incorporate what we do on Sunday right into the home, right? Whether you have kids at home or not, right? Is that our life is an overflow of the worship of the resurrection on Sunday morning. And so what I want to do is share with you a video. I hope you can hear it. If not, I'll try to summarize some of it. Of a gentleman speaking on this idea of the spiritual but not religious. You guys go ahead. Every time you pick up a Newsweek or a Time magazine or a USA Today at Easter, uh, they'll have some new survey in there uh, about how most Americans say that they are spiritual but not religious. What does that mean? Well, ever since the Enlightenment, the idea was that religion is basically about morality. There are these universal principles of morality that bind all people. At its heart, Christianity is that. At its heart, Buddhism is that. As, at its heart, Ju Judaism is that. At its heart, Islam is that. But then you have all these, these encrustations around them. Doctrines and rituals and beliefs and institutions and historical claims. If you could just get rid of all that, uh, it would be the fulfillment of the great prophet John Lennon's uh, Imagine. You know, we would all be together living in perfect harmony because at the heart of every religion or even no religion is a commitment to spirituality and universal morality. Well, uh, that's true, actually. Uh, the Bible says that every person has a sense of God's existence and an awareness of his invisible attributes. And everyone has a sense of his justice and his power. 
and everyone knows in his or her conscience his law. And that's exactly why religions devise methods of appeasing God or the gods, because they know they're condemned. But what, what religion cannot accomplish, none of these religions can accomplish, is or provide is an answer to the question of how can I, a sinner, be accepted before a holy God. The, the, the Christian message, the message of Christ, is that we're far worse off than we ever imagined. We can't appease God. We can't satisfy his justice. We cannot fulfill his law. We are condemned. Case closed. The good news, though, is better than we ever imagined. Because he has actually clothed us in Christ's righteousness. He has imputed or credited Christ's righteousness to us and our sin to Christ. The great exchange. So really, it, it, it's not being spiritual or religious that we sh should be looking for as Christians. Uh, we're not looking for spirituality. Uh, uh, it's interesting, the early Christians were criticized and even persecuted by the Romans for uh, not being spiritual enough. Uh, Rome, uh, uh, the Christians said, had too many gods. <laughs> and Rome said, you guys don't have enough. Uh, Paul, when he came to Athens, said, I see that you're very spiritual. Uh, but the, there's a problem in being too spiritual, uh, too religious. Um, you are an idolater. Uh, no, this, this particular person, Jesus of Nazareth, is God in the flesh. Not all this spiritual stuff, not a sacred cosmos, not uh, everything is holy, everything is spiritual, everything is sacred. But this person, Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, is God in the flesh who has come to save us. It, this is, it's not about spirituality. It's not about morality. It's not about universal, eternal, timeless truths. It's about that, that particular historical truth. That in the fullness of time, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only God. And he was crucified for our sins and was raised for our justification. That's not spirituality or religion. That's the gospel. It's something completely different. So what we hear is this reality, that as you enter into maybe one of these conversations, how many of you have heard this phrase, right, spiritual but not religious? Okay. Higher. There you go. Okay. How many of you have had a conversation with someone around that? Becoming very, very common. And, and those of you who uh, fit in the baby boomer category, uh, some researchers would say uh, that this really kind of picked up steam um, with baby boomers. So one person said this way, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau as Americans really are America's founding spiritual but not religious. And while spiritual but not religious have always been with us, their numbers exploded when the baby boomers came of age in a world of great diversity, easy access to new sources of information, especially the spiritual traditions 
of Eastern religions. And so the twin culture of de, uh, de-institute, oh, sorry, uh, not liking institutions, right, and the rise of individualism bring a rise of this idea of a private practice of God within us. Does that make sense? Rise of institu- or a, a, a rise against institutions, uh, an increase of individualization increases the rise of God within us. Now, as a believer in Jesus, claimed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have a baptism later today, can you say that God lives within you? And the answer, yeah, absolutely. And we can even say that God, uh, in his, uh, out of an overflow of his love, he created us. And so there is this God-sized-shaped hole that everyone in all of humanity is trying to fill. And people are seeking and putting and trying to fill, in, fill all sorts of things in that void. And there's only one solution to filling that void. And what is it? It's that the God of all creation who sent his son would come and bring redemption and forgiveness. The great exchanges you just heard, right? That Jesus takes on our unrighteousness and he gives to us his righteousness. That God would, in Jesus, would take on our sin and he would grant us his forgiveness. That we who are defeated by the chaos and the disaster of a, of a disordered world, that God would come and bring order into our lives by the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, the power of Jesus' ascension on high. This is how we are framed. If you would, can you uh, pull out a Bible and go to Acts chapter 17? So in Acts chapter 17, we see Paul in a conversation. He's in Athens, and in Athens at the Areopagus, they would debate new ideas. And the Christians at that time in Rome were being uh, criticized because they were not spiritual enough. They didn't worship enough gods. And we heard this assertion in the video, right, that we as God's people really are not seeking, if you will, in these definitions, to be more spiritual or to be more religious. We are seeking to simply follow after Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. It's that reminder that in all conversations, The reason why most conversations end up in feuds and arguments and high, you know, emotions is because no one's defining their terms, right? I mean, can I just beg you, the next time you have a conversation with with somebody that might be a little bit, you know, a little bit sandpaper-ish, that you would just say, hey, can you help me understand what you mean by the word spiritual? Hey, help me understand what you mean by religious. Can you explain more what you meant when you said blank? So much, we just talk past one another because I'm placing my definition of their words instead of letting them define their words. So this is a reminder. We come to these conversations with humility. We come to them with compassion. And please come to them with questions. Far more 
than an answer. Ask lots of questions. So who's, what does faith mean to you? What's, what's your view of morality? Where, where does that come from? What causes us to be good? Or what is it to be good? You've heard of the guy Jesus. What do you think about him? And listen. And listen, and what? Ask more questions. So often, we have been trained, probably because of our education system, fair enough, being a former teacher, I can pick on us, here we go, right, to have the answer. But really, it's about a dialogue and a conversation of asking questions. Now, you have the answer, I know. As a blood-bought child of God, redeemed by Jesus the crucified, washed by the water of baptism, and given the power of the Holy Spirit, you know he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. You know that. And you can slowly, gently lead to that. But so many of our friends and family, our co-workers and fellow students, recognize the need for morality, and they're spiritual. Well, what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, I pray. Wonderful. What kind of things do you pray about? Who are you directing that? Are you directing that to anybody? We could see the spiritual but not religious as a real negative thing, but that would be, I think, misplaced. I think this is an incredibly powerful thing. So I can ask the question, how often do you talk about spiritual things with your friends? And what we'll find out is people are far more willing to talk about spiritual things than they were 30 years ago. Isn't this a beautiful thing? Now, they may not have the exact same belief structure as you. That's okay. But at least there's a conversation, right? At least there's a conversation. And we know one of the most harmful things and one of the most hurtful things is if conversation just stops, right? We know that in our personal relationships, right? That silence is actually... That's the thing we might fear. So you guys are in Acts chapter 17, right? Here's the big points. Humility, compassion, rabbi questions, 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 a listening ear. And then assess their culture. So Paul in verse 16, this is chapter 17, verse 16. I'm reading NIV. Actually, I can read ESV. Here we go. Sorry. Now, Paul, waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, 
standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown? This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of all mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods for the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. So don't be surprised that there are people, brothers and sisters, who are trying to understand that have this, this, this desire to try to fill a void in their life. God, that, that's been placed there by God, that they would seek God in hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of you. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. So what is Paul's strategy? He's observing their culture. He's listening to their culture. He's listening to their poets. Maybe he's listening to the music of the day. Maybe he's watching where people gather and spend a lot of time and spend a lot of money. And he's sitting going, huh, let me tell you, you're trying to fill this void or your poets say something about this. Let me tell you what you're actually trying to find out. Here's possibly an answer to your seeking. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him, but others said, we will hear you again on this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Brothers and sisters, my desire today is that your hearts, your desire to engage in conversation when someone says, yeah, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, is that you would enter that conversation with compassion and humility, remembering that you and I too have had times of being spiritual. That is to maybe have beliefs and ideas around God that um, aren't actually uh, in line with the teachings of Jesus. And maybe at times we've been too religious, too restricted, placing false laws where there really shouldn't be. And so we enter these conversations with humility and compassion because we too have been there. And some of you have kids and grandkids, right, who, who love Jesus, but they don't come to worship regularly. It's a reality. We have people in our family like that, too. And my reminder is that Jesus loves his church as imperfect as she is. That Jesus loves me as imperfect as I am. And Jesus loves you, too, as imperfect as you are.
And Jesus desires that this group of imperfect people that can recognize that they're imperfect can come together and have the blessing of community, the encouragement of one another, the prayer and support of one another, which reminds you and me that the people to my left and to my right and the people who are sitting in the same seats as you mirrored across the room are people that we invest in, the people we get to know, people we pray for and people we care for. Because the body of Christ truly is a body that cares for one another. And when we just come to fulfill some religious duty, then we're actually just being like the folks in Amos chapter 5 and becoming hypocrites. It's a hard calling and it's a high calling to be called the child of God that invests in the kingdom of God and the church of God, the one he died for and the one he loves. Humility and compassion with questions and a listening ear, listening to culture and sharing how that God who came from heaven to earth, loved you enough to come rescue you. He's come to rescue everybody. Let's pray. Father God, you are good and you are gracious. And I pray that in our hearts and our minds that you would continue to cause us to love what is good and to seek justice that you would fill our hearts and fill our minds and fill our lives with an investment for the community of God, to love the church that you love. Lord, it's only by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and an obedience to following him, Lord, that that continues to grow in us. Thanks for forgiving us and restoring us and rescuing us when there, there are times that we don't. Father, may you increase our humility and increase our compassion Father, may you be exalted in all that we listen to, all that we see, and all that we converse in. In the name of Jesus, our awesome God, amen. Let's rise and let's sing.